as you find your seats, let me, first of all, commend you for loving Jesus enough to come and worship Him. Uh, This is Labor Day, but as far as I can understand Scripture, every Sunday is Labor Day. Is it not a day of rest? So uh, we're in the right place, celebrating the right God, and it's great to uh, have you celebrate with us. I just got word in uh, this morning that one of our uh, families had a baby boy last night, Michael and Kristen Tremaine. Um, uh, Kristen gave birth at 12.30 a.m. on a holiday weekend. How do you think that doctor felt? He's probably loving them. They might be a little tacked onto the bill. But more importantly, thank the Lord for a baby boy, Alexander Brooks Tremaine, uh, 7 pounds, 15 ounces, 21 inches long. Um, by the way, this makes, I think, four children. I know it's four. I know you can add. I think they're all under five. I don't know what kind of award they're going for. We'll give it to them right now. Uh, thank God that uh, uh, he's blessed our covenant family with another great covenant child. What a great family. So we rejoice with the Tremaines this morning. This morning we uh, continue our series on keys to a healthy church. And we are looking into the book of Acts. Uh, We're looking through this window of scripture into Acts 2. We look into the early church. And let me tell you, sometimes we glamorize the early church like they had it all together and, and we need to emulate everything they do. Good news, they were a broken, dysfunctional family at times like ours, like us. And yet the Spirit of God was working powerfully in their life. So we need to look in there and we need to take out some nuggets from God's Word and say, yes, this is uh, what it looks like to be healthy. And as a matter of fact, even as we read this this morning, it was interesting to me as I'm wrestling through this text that someone from the outside may look at this and say, this is really healthy. This kind of sounds cult-like. I mean, these people were so in love with God and with each other. They're selling possessions. They're giving to one another. I mean, there might be images of David Koresh or Jim Jones and, and some of this and from an outsider looking in. But we realize that with the Holy Spirit present and what Jesus has done, this is incredibly a healthy church moving forward, loving God and loving one another. Last week, we looked at a healthy church needs to be a learning church. Uh, God has given us his word It will never lead us astray. It is without error. And we need to be, because we want to be a healthy community, under God's authority. We need to be learners of God's word. We need to be those who have a hunger, saying, God, lead me, teach me, guide me through your word, being powered by your spirit. This week, we're going to look at a loving community, what it means to be a loving community. So in all four weeks, we're going to be in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, so you can Keep your bulletin there from uh, the next couple more weeks, but don't leave your Bible on the shelf till next Sunday. Um, if you don't have your Bibles with us, with you, uh, the words will appear on the screen behind me. But let's be mindful. We're reading God's holy, inerrant word. Acts 2, verses 42. And they, those who have been saved, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to it and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
and day by day, attending the temple, together with breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let us pray together. Father, as we sang to you this morning, a verse that jumped out to me was the reminder that if the Holy Spirit doesn't come and and teach and speak, our preaching is in vain. Father, it's because of your word and what you have called preachers to do that I am before your people and before yours, before you, opening up your word. But apart from your spirit, apart from the work of your son, I can do nothing but lead people astray. Because God, I'm, I'm a sinner who desperately needs Jesus. So Father, would you come and would you come with power like only you can through the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and come and speak into our lives. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the health of this church. But God, we desire to become more like you. So would you open up our ears to hear your voice? Spirit, would you illumine our minds so we can understand your word? Spirit, would you break open our hearts and so they're not hard and, and crusty, so that they're soft and pliable in the Heavenly Father's hands? Spirit, would you please come and would you empower our feet so we can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? Father, we pray that you and you alone and your Son and your Spirit receive all glory and we receive great joy. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. This week's Time Magazine, kind of interesting uh, article uh, in this week's Time Magazine, an article on uh, the secret life of Mother Teresa. Apparently, it is a new book that will be coming out. Uh, this article is based on this new book. It's entitled Mother Teresa, Come Be My Light. And it reveals her life in a way that really sheds light um, on the private part of her life that has shocked many. It's her struggle. It's her struggle with faith. It's her struggle to believe. It's her struggle, Mother Teresa's struggle to know if God really loves her. We want to say, Mother Teresa having a crisis of faith? Is this not the Nobel Peace Prize winner for one whose faith seemingly takes her to Calcutta, to the poor of the poor, pouring out her life, saying that if you see the poor, you see Jesus? And so there she goes. Mother Teresa, the poster girl, if you will, of the selfless service to Jesus. And yet, it says a 50-year crisis of faith. Reading some of these excerpts, it says that she refers to Jesus as the absent one. She talks about her loneliness, her darkness, and her doubt. And you know... There's a part of that 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 makes me want to say, Yahoo, I understand, Mother Teresa. It's good to know that those that we call saints, those uh, that the society will look at as the real Christians, they too, like you and me, have those moments of doubt. 
They too, like you and me, have those wonderings and wrestlings. Can it really be true? We all have our moments, don't we? But through the power of God's Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, those should be fleeting moments. And one of the most amazing things that this article and Mother Teresa's life points to is this. Now this is very important. Listen. Working for God. Giving to God doesn't gain us fellowship with God. Did you hear that? Unbelievably, we have the prime example that just one who works for God and gives all that she has to God does not guarantee fellowship with God. You see, it's by, by God's grace and by God's grace alone through faith in Christ Jesus that we gain this fellowship with God. And this fellowship with one another, this fellowship that is exploding in the book of Acts. The Greek word here is this koinonia, which is translated fellowship. It's the sharing of values. It's the sharing of life. What it really is is this. It's a sharing of a, a worldview that is so comprehensive of a worldview where Christ and Christ alone is King, is Savior, is the light of the world, our only hope. It's sharing that worldview in such a way that it pulls us together in fellowship where we have to live together and worship together and share possessions. It's only by God's grace that we can gain that kind of fellowship through Christ. You see, our lives, this is so important as we begin, our lives need to be a response to Christ's fellowship with us. Our lives need to be a response to God and that He has offered us unbelievably a relationship by His grace through faith with Him. And now we are to give back to Him our lives as He has given us the gift of His life through His Son. You see, we see in this a Father who gave us the incredible, incredible privilege to enter into a relationship with Him. We see the Son who's made it possible for sinners like you and me that can come to a holy God. Jesus who says, I'm going to come and rescue lost sinners like us. Those who by nature are children of wrath. Those who by nature are separated from God. Those of us, all of us, sinners born naturally not being belonging to God. Jesus has come to rescue us. There's such good news. So that we can be His. So we can be His people. And now the Holy Spirit has come. And this is what's happening in the early church. The Holy Spirit has come. It's fallen upon the, the early church. The third person, the Trinity, is there. And it's, it's awakened their understanding. It's broken their hearts. Now they realize that they, this ragtag bunch of, of sinners like us, can have fellowship with God. And this fellowship with God is radically changing their entire life. It changes everything. Have you ever had or seen, or I know you have, uh, events in life that, that change everything? Maybe it's that one thing in life that changes the way you see life. It, it, it changes the way you see one another. It might even change some of your relationships. It might tweak your, your, your values. Have you had those defining moments, uh, things like marriage? Uh, you enter into marriage, it certainly uh, spins your worldview. You see life differently. Certainly, like the Tremaines becoming parents, that's an event that can change your entire life. Uh, there's some bad things like this. It could be a, 
a car accident. Uh, it could be a, a spouse's uh, being unfaithful. It could be a divorce. What about as a total group of people? Are there events that shape the way we see all of life? What about 9-11? Was that not an incredible event that changed the way we see life? I mean, through 9-11, we realize that our stories aren't as important as a bigger story. We realize that our stories are enmeshed together and there's something bigger than ourselves. And because of that one event on 9-11, we had New Yorkers showing love to one another. I mean, is that not amazing? Have you been to New York? I used to work there. But because of that, they realize that, you know, the selfishness oftentimes in my own life means nothing to the bigger story here. There's something bigger going on in my own life. i got to see life through a whole new set of lens. It's no longer safe. The states are no longer impenetrable to attack. There's something evil in our world that I must deal with. And because of this, an entire worldview of at least a city and a nation began to change. You see, that's what's happening at Pentecost. This single event of the Holy Spirit coming down and realizing that now our stories are enmeshed together. You see, this is the first point I have. If you want to, it's listed in your bulletin. You can follow along with these uh, points. Change your life forever. If you want to fill in, they should be up on the screen as well. The first thing is this unbelievable response to what was this single event. The single event of the Holy Spirit coming, what's called Pentecost, is they realize they have an awesome fellowship. Awe was a part of the early church. And an awesome fellowship, beginning with this, of sharing in His story. We're going to talk about this morning this. We've got to love one another. But for us to love one another, we've got to realize what do we share in You see, there is such good news, my brothers and sisters. We share in something so much more than just our own stories. We share in God's story. We share in His life, Scripture tells us. We share in His death. We share in His resurrection. The Bible tells us very clearly that you and I are going to share in one of two stories. We're going to share in a story of the first Adam. The first Adam that God created holy and without sin to reign and rule in God's place here on earth, to be his vice regent, to be the one that reflects his glory. And everyone was represented in this first Adam in the, in the Garden of Eden. And when he fell, we fell. And his guilt became our guilt. And his wounded, broken nature was passed down to us. And we became sinners in his image. And every single one of us who has ever been born since the first man is born in that image and is going to tell that story, a story of brokenness, a story of sin, a story of pain, a story of suffering. But God says, my story is even greater than sin. My story is not about death. My story is about life. And because my story is about life, I'm going to send a greater Adam, what Scripture calls a second Adam, which is Jesus Christ. And he too is going to come representing his people. And what Adam failed to do, he's going to do perfectly. He's going to earn God's favor He's going to complete all the things we failed to do and He's going to become our punishment. So you and I, in this room, every single one of us is living one of two stories. We're living Adam's story. And the way we live that is we live it for ourselves. A story of death. A story of despair. 
a story of being estranged from God, or unbelievably, by God's grace in fellowship with Him in Jesus Christ, we live Jesus' story. We're His letters. We're His story. He wants to tell the world about Him through us. And the only way that starts is with fellowship with Him. Fellowship with Him in Christ Jesus. And here comes Pentecost and this one event where the Holy Spirit has come with power and the church began to understand something very, very significant. Their whole world was changing. They understood the cross. What looked like ultimate defeat for the followers of Christ, and there are only very a few, what looked like defeat on a cross in Rome, in, in, in Jerusalem, a Roman cross, actually became the power of salvation. They started to realize the significance of the empty tomb. Do you know that? Do you know that on that cross, Jesus defeated death? Through that empty tomb, we know that we have life and life abundantly. Listen. Listen to this incredible story of Jesus. Now sins have been paid. Sinners like you and me can have fellowship with God. Why? Because Jesus became our sin. It was really paid. When He said it, it was finished. He wasn't kidding. God's no longer mad at us. Our sins have been paid in the full. There's no more condemnation. Even God's holy just eyes can look at our lives and in Christ Jesus, He has to legally declare us not guilty. Not only that, but heaven's doors have been thrown open because our sins have been paid. Death has been defeated Life is now meaning. Do you have that meaning in Christ Jesus? Through God's grace, eternal life has been gained in Christ. And forever, our relationship with God has been changed. Forever, now we can have fellowship with God. Do you have that fellowship? You see, our fellowship begins with Him. The only way we love one another rightly is we understand how He loves us and we love Him rightly. Our fellowship begins in sharing in God's grace. Have you shared in that? Have you tasted that? Have you tasted that salvation? You see, now we have salvation and we have fellowship with God. Turn with me to 1 John, in the back of your Bibles, 1 John uh, chapter 1 and uh, verse 3. And, and this is an epistle that John is writing. He also wrote a gospel, the Gospel of John. This is in the back. He wrote three epistles, uh, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And he is going to tell us kind of the rest of the story. And he's going to tell us what Jesus has done. Um, that he has come, that God himself has taken on flesh and come to rescue us. And he's going to tell us why he's telling us this story. It's so important. Listen, in 1 John 1, 3, it says this. That which we have seen, John has seen Jesus. He was the one who would lay his head on Jesus' side. The one that he would call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, John, the one that we have seen, Jesus, and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have koinonia, that you may have fellowship with us. Here's what John was doing. He said, this is so radical. We're proclaiming what Jesus has done so that we can have this, this love relationship with one another. The disciples, the apostles were saying, we're going to share this so we can be one. And indeed, listen to this. Our koinonia, our fellowship, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ unbelievably through the work of Christ our fellowship begins with a relationship with him 2 Corinthians 
we don't want to leave out the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians three fourteen says this: the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. You see, through Christ, the stories have changed. It's unbelievably. The early church were now getting that their story was a part of a bigger story. It was God's story. And they were having this incredible change of their worldview that they now realize that in Christ Jesus, they can have fellowship, real, true fellowship, a love relationship with God, the Father, with Jesus, the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. Everything had changed because of this one event. How many of you all uh, had a, joined a fraternity or sorority in college? All right, quite a few of y'all. I did as well. Um, you know, my relationship with them began when I was pledged to become one of them. Uh, as I was pledged to become one of them, I was able to wear their jersey, uh, eat at their table, uh, live in their home. But after initiation, I was called brother. And our relationships had changed. You see, Christianity in such a greater way tells us of this incredible initiation into Christ. So much more that now we can have fellowship with Him. Listen, now in Christ, being initiated into Christ through the Holy Spirit, we can wear Christ's jersey. The perfect righteousness of Christ is ours. So when the Father looks at sinners like you and me, guess what He sees? His son's perfection, his son's jersey, his son's identity. Not only that, we get to eat his meal. We get to come together and remember the broken bread was his broken body. The poured out wine was his blood shed for us. We get to come and eat his meal together. We get to live with him and be with him for all eternity. Now, because of what Jesus has done, I can call you my brother, my sister, my family. You see, what are we sharing? It all begins with a common identity. Because we have a common identity, we need to learn together. That's what they did. We need to eat together. This is what we're going to do. We need to worship together. This is what we have. They did it daily. We need to pray together. You want to be bonded together? Come and pray with one another. It's amazing. And we need to live with one another in Christ. You see, it's His Story, the fellowship that you and I share with the triune God that causes us to share together and also share with one another. This is why we have these things like uh, uh, our equipping center classes beginning next week. You and I, we got to be growing together, we got to be learning together. So we got age and stage communities so that we can have life together and love one another, but we also have teachings so we can learn with one another. That's why we have C2 groups. Because God has called us to have fellowship with one another, these small groups, and also worship together. But it begins with this, our awesome fellowship with Him and being His story. And now we have the awesome, second point, fellowship of sharing our possessions. Because of what we share in, we share out. Listen, when our lives are our biggest story, when our personal lives are our biggest story, we hold on to our possessions tightly because we think that somehow our possessions will give our story meaning or success. But by God's grace, when you realize your story is bigger than your own, when you realize your story is His story, then we don't hold on to the things that we think define us. We invest them into the kingdom 
Because there is a bigger story. This is what's happening. They were looking at all the things that they thought made him happy. They were thinking about all the things they thought that gave him identity. They were looking at all the things that, that the world would say is of value. And they said, no, I got something of the greatest value in Jesus. Therefore, I'm, I'm willing to, to give it all up. I'm going to hold on to everything like this. Because Jesus has given me something I can never lose. And I'll sell what I need to sell to make sure my brother isn't in need. You see, the only way they would do this is they realize, it's an amazing part of the text, they said this, when we have all things in common, when you and I have all things in common, we don't hold on to our possessions for personal gain and enjoyment. If we really are family, I mean, if we really have this incredible identity together, that it's not about me or you hanging on to what we say, mine. We say, no, no, no. When we have all things in common, we say ours. This is what God has given to us. And we don't hold them on. We say, no, it's about our story collectively. We're telling his story. But truthfully, what in the world do we have in common with one another? You know, there's some of you here who are Red Sox fans. There's some of you here. I can't believe you almost clapped at that. There's some of you here that don't even like baseball. (laughs) There's some of you here that don't even like sports. There might be a few of you here that don't even like New York. Some of you don't like Apple computers, and I don't know why, but there's some of you here that don't like blue cheese. So what do we have in common? It's a really cool, really cool part of this, because you know what we want? Sometimes we think they had everything in common. But really what we want to ask is what did these folks have in common? What was going on? Now, turn back with me to Acts 2, verses 5 through 13. And this is what's going to, this is so cool. Because this is what's happening in the early church. In Acts 2, verses 5 through 13, it tells us who was present at Pentecost. It basically is this. It's a table of nations. It's basically telling us that there were people there that came from different cultures, different religious backgrounds. They looked different. Their skin was different. They spoke differently. These people didn't have everything in common. If anything, you would say this was a hodgepodge group that represented all the kingdoms of the world. What in the world did they have in common? It was amazing. They were so diverse that what they didn't share was a common language, right? What happens at Pentecost? All these people have nothing in common that have lots of reasons not to like each other, lots of reason in history to be separated from each other. All of a sudden, because of what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit, they're together as one. And you know what was unbelievable? God was uniting them, even their language. And now listen, I'm going to tell you something for no extra charge. And this, this is really, this is pretty amazing. What happens in Acts chapter 2 is the reverse of Babel. Go back and look into Genesis 9 and to see, 9 or 10, um, see what happened at Babel. See that all of mankind, the table of nations show up to do something great for man. They wanted it to be all about man's glory. So let's let's build a really big tower so it'll be all about our story and everybody will hear about our story. We're going to build something great for us. And I love what Scripture says. It says God stooped down. He came way down to see that little tinker toy, little tower that man started to build 
toward heaven. And he says, I'm going to take their language and confuse it and scatter them all over the world. And here Pentecost comes. He says, I'm going to take them back. I'm going to bring them together. I'm going to unify their language. I'm going to tell them they're a part of a bigger story. I'm going to forgive their sins in Christ Jesus. I'm going to empower them with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to scatter them all across the world so they can tell my story. Unbelievable. What's happening in the early church is reverse Babel. And God's goodness being restored. And they're realizing, what do we have in common? Listen, this is what you need to hear more than anything, my brothers and sisters. Jesus. When Jesus is our life's focal point, we have all things in common. When Jesus is it, when Jesus is the reason, when it's for Christ and His kingdom, when we realize that this entire Word is written for Him, about Him, through Him, to bring us life. It's all about Jesus. And when He truly is our focal point, when He is our life, when He is our Savior, when He is our big brother, when He is our friend, we have all things in common. We come together and say, yeah, you might, you might even worship the Knolls or the Gators or the Red Sox or the Yankees or cheer for whoever. Did I say worship? Pray for me, will you? We spend a lot of time looking at what makes us different. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot here. But family, we got to look at what makes us together. What makes us love one another. And it's Jesus. Is he our church's focal point? Is he your, your focal point? And I know, here's, here's how we know it is. Guess what? The first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. We will love one another. We will tangibly show that love in word and deed. Listen, a healthy church, because we love one another and we love God, a healthy church is a generous church. Because our God is a generous God. And we too must be generous. I got to tell you, I had one of those moments this week. And it was, it was I, I, I mean, wow. It was about as close as I came to uh, an epiphany. It was, it was one of those moments where I felt God communicate with me about as clearly as he ever has. And it's about an opportunity that this church has to, to show the love of Christ. And it was one of those things that I got to tell you, it was, it was like, no way. It, you, you can't be calling us to do this. This is like, no one does this. This is out of the box craziness. Some of you are laughing like, this is typical Jeff. And I shared it with one of our elders who said, it is such a God, please wait and share it after Labor Day weekend. So that's a little teaser. But I believe that God is calling us to do something to show the generous nature of who he is to our community. It's got me all fired up. So, so come back. But let me tell you some of the things that we could do immediately. We got things called Deacon's Fund. I mean, once a month, we got a deacon to come up and say, hey, listen, we, we need money to give to our, our members in need. And there's some great things that we're doing. We're paying medical bills and, and we're, we're helping people uh, repair homes and people in need. And so this is a great opportunity. Do you love one another? Are you sharing in the fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit? Love one another through the deacon's fund. 
I mean, it comes around once a month. And, and really, uh, we're not even asking to sell anything, to put anything in there. That's going to come later. Just, just love one another. But what about, there's more to sharing. Listen, what about sharing in your spiritual gifts? Scripture tells us very clearly, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. 1 Corinthians 12 is all about spiritual gifts and that God's given each one of us a gift. And it says this in 12, 7, for the common good. You have been given a gift. Maybe it's a gift of teaching. Are you utilizing it in our Sunday school program? Uh, maybe you have the gift of service and mercy. Are you utilizing it in the way you're serving us? Maybe parking cars or, or doing other things. Each one of us has been given a gift. Are we investing in it because we're ridiculously in love with Jesus, which makes us ridiculously in love with one another, and we realize we really are family, that God has given me something for you. And i got to use this gift to bring God glory and make your life more like His. That's utilizing our spiritual gifts. Each and every one of us. But what about your what about your gift of your faith? Are you sharing the gift of your faith? I mean, really, the greatest gift God could give us is the gift of faith, and we believe here clearly He's the one who even gives us that gift. And now we have this incredible fellowship with God, all by God's grace. Now we have peace with God. Now we have eternal life. Now our sins have been forgiven. Now we're guaranteed to be joint heirs with Christ. Are we sharing our faith? Now listen, I'm not going to be banging you over the head with this because I want to tell you, I'm not a natural evangelist. I'd rather go and sit on an airplane and just read. I'd rather go to a restaurant and eat. You know, I don't want my life necessarily to be about winning the loss, but God has to continually remind me that he brings people into my life to tell them about Jesus. Just this week, I, 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 ran a, I came across a guy at a restaurant that was clearly uh, his, uh, um, his battery it was, it was out. Uh, he needed a jump. A matter of fact, I wish I could tell you I saw it. Katie saw it. And she said, maybe that guy needs help. And unbelievably, I, I was at the same restaurant needing a jump. And it's not this pay-forward business or anything like that. It just Jesus had provided me an opportunity to go love this guy, you know. And so I went over and engaged him. Hey, do you need a jump? Yeah, I sure do. And uh, I said, you know, do you have jumper cables? And yeah, I do. I said, well, let me bring my vehicle around here. And I gave him a jump. And we got into a conversation. And, and uh, he worked for Publix. And, and uh, he said, now, what do you do for a living? And, and I said, I'm a baseball player. Uh, I was like, <laughs> you know. No, I said, I'm, I'm a preacher. He goes, oh, whereabouts? I'm over in Orlando. He goes, oh, we come into Orlando sometimes. We go here, Joe Hunter. He's awesome. We go get a Joel fix. Maybe Joel wants to come over here and jump your car, you know? Where's Joel right now? Needed a Joel fix. I love my brother. Now, some of you guys are going to come up to me afterwards and say, now, Jeff, we love you. I know. I don't want to be Joel. I'm a lot better. I'm taller, you know? <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Um, there's so many ways for us to be a generous church because a, a generous church is a healthy church. Listen, that's just God's broken my heart for that. Whatever we have, we better be investing in the kingdom. And there's some great opportunities, a 5K race, that we give all the proceeds away. That's awesome. Jump in, get involved. God knows I can't run five miles, but or 5K, 3.1, but I'm going to be there and helping out. Uh, we have something called Fusion. It's, uh, it's an incredible. Robert's so excited about this ministry opportunity the first weekend in October. Uh, we need you to be there. Next week, blood drive. Do you know what kind of blood God gave me? Let me, let me back up. 
you know what blood they put in someone and he comes rushing into the emergency room and they don't know what blood type he is? You know what blood they put in him? O negative. Guess what blood I got? O negative. The only people that call me all the time, it's a blood bank. I'll be there next week. Can I ask you this? What are you really willing to sell for those needs around you? I mean, if, if, if our stuff isn't our identity, if it's not about our story but about his story, if we have fellowship with the triune God, and now we have all the blessings, shouldn't we be living like this? You know, this isn't Marxism, by the way. We, we, we might want to read Acts 2 and 42 through 47. It says, are, are they against possessions? Are they selling all they have? I mean, is this kind of a, a Marxist worldview? But no, there's some really good news. Where did they meet day by day? Guess where they met? In their houses. Apparently they didn't sell everything. Unless they had to. Apparently they just hold all things like this. This is Christianity. This is the love of Christ. You see what John, what Jesus tells us through John is this, the world will know Christians by the way they love one another. You see, what pours out of us is evidence of what, pour, what he has poured into us. What pours out of us should be evidence of what he has poured into us. And lastly, this is, this is unbelievable. This, 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 is, this is what makes Scripture sing. This is it. And I'm going to tell you this one. Our awesome Jesus, listen, our awesome Jesus has all things in common with us so that we can have all things in common with him. Talk about giving. God became man. The word of God became flesh. He dwelt among us. He bore our weakness. He walked on this earth. He breathed this air. He ate with us. He wept with us. He bled for us. Jesus has all things in common with us so that we can have all things in common with him. Jesus became a part of our story, our brokenness, our sin, our misery. Jesus became a part of our story so we could become a part of his. Jesus became like us so we could become like him. Listen, 1 John 3, 1 John 3, 1. One of my favorites, 1 John 3, 1 says this. See what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us, that sinners like us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But listen to this. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. Oh, we'll not be God. He's not going to share with us His divinity that's only His. Jesus sold everything. He who was rich... He who was rich became poor so that we and our poverty in Christ could become rich. 
He sold it all. He says, I'm going to sell all my possessions. I'm going to go to those in need. I'm going to take all things in common with them so they can have all things in common with me. I'm going to share my inheritance. We are going to be co-heirs. We are going to be children. We're going to be sons and daughters of God. Jesus became had all things in common with us so that we can have all things in common with Him. And this Lord's Supper is a tangible reminder that Jesus had all things in common with us. It's a tangible reminder so that we can be like Him. This is a picture of Jesus selling everything so that we don't have to be poor. What a story. My brothers and sisters, we come to this table remembering what Jesus has done for us. We break the bread remembering He broke His body. We drink the cup remembering He shed His blood. And listen, if you haven't taken Jesus into your heart, this is not a meal for you. This is only for those by God's grace who say, I understand the fellowship of God. But for those of us who have, we come and we eat and we remember and we grow in Christ's likeness. But if you're here today, And if you have not yet embraced Jesus Christ as Savior, listen, don't take the meal it says you have, but instead, take Jesus. Take Jesus. Embrace Him by faith as your Lord and Savior. Have fellowship with Him and experience this new life in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the incredible fellowship that we have with Christ Jesus. And God, Thank you, thank you that you've given us a meal to remember it. You've given us a tangible signs and seal that says you love us in Christ Jesus. That says that we are forever yours. Father, we thank you for this incredible privilege. We thank you for this meal that we can come and feed upon Christ our Savior and grow to become more like him. God, I pray for any man, woman, or child here this morning who is yet to embrace Christ as Savior and does not know this fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit, that today would be the day. Today would be the day that they embrace Christ, ask forgiveness of their sins, and see Him as Lord and Savior. And God, for the rest of us, by Your grace that are Yours, would You feed us through this meal, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As the elders come and prepare the table, will you take a few minutes to prepare your heart for this incredible meal? It tells us we're not to do this in an unworthy manner that we're to examine our hearts, see if there's any sinful way. And as we do that, spend a few moments just in prayer with your God, prepare to meet Him through this meal.